0: This episode's brought to you by Amazon.com. Go to this episode's page on Nerdist.com and click on the Amazon banner. Then shop like you regular do on Amazon, which is the place where everybody buys everything. Are there other stores? I don't think there are. So help support our show by supporting our sponsors. Again, go to this episode's page at Nerdist.com and click on the Amazon banner.
1: Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writer's Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers.
0: Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. But talk can be enlightening. It's very, rarely frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Hi, welcome to this show. Uh, (laughs) we're...
2: That's your opening? Hi, welcome to yeah, the yeah. show. I love it.
0: Listen, we cut and paste it from <laughs> past episodes. Um, I'm thrilled today to get in the studio, Jane Espenson and Doug Petrie. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Hey, thanks. Uh, former favorite panelists. Um, and we.
2: Who's your favorite panelist now?
0: <laughs> yeah, f- formerly favorite. Yeah. <laughs>
3: former favorite is a, is a loaded phrase.
0: <laughs> former panelists among our favorites. Um, oh. And when we spoke before... We only uh, scratch the surface of things to talk about. Um, I lured Jane here by telling her that I was going to go over her old blog, JaneEspenson.com, which was a fantastic resource for uh, aspiring writers and current writers. Um, Let's talk about that blog for a minute. Mm You had been keeping it since like 2006. That was the earliest stuff.
2: I think that's right. Something like that. What was the
0: impetus for
1: it?
2: I used to when I worked on a show, I would just work on that show and i didn 't have side projects and it left me with time, um, which now seems like this miraculous <laughs> thing. How did I have all that time um and I was you know going out and speaking to classes and talking to people about about writing and It just occurred to me that I should write some of this down um and so I just Oh, also, I started it thinking that it was going to be like, like uh, here's your window into the world of a writer's room. Hmm. Uh, and then like days after I started it, Jake in Progress got canceled, the show I was on. <laughs> so I didn't have a writer's room to talk about. Um, so I was out there on stage. Everyone was clapping, going dance, dance, dance. I had to do something. Um, so I thought, oh, I'll talk about writing. That's what it was. Oh, interesting. Uh, and so I started it. And, and it is all, I've stopped doing it because I ran out of stuff to say. But it's all just still sitting there at JaneEspenson.com. Anyone who wants to go read, read, because yeah. uh, I think largely you were saying it, it seems to still hold.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I was go- I was saying I brought you here with the intent to kind of go over some of that old stuff and see if it still holds up or if you know the industry had changed and negated some of that. But man, ninety five percent of it is is still absolutely fantastic advice. Uh, because it is so much about writing. I mean, it was right. never very much about breaking in, although right. there was material covered in that, but...
2: Yeah, woo, I'm timeless. <laughs> you really
0: are. <laughs> um, and anyway, welcome welcome back. Mm-hmm. We still do have things to talk about. Um, something I didn't get to talk about with either of you when you first did the panels is uh, your background as a consumer of entertainments and kind of early influences. Uh, I mean, Jane, you've become... Uh, someone who works, who is known for genre television. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, you know, you're a pretty big name in there. And uh, was this stuff that you grew up with? Were you always interested in this? Because you did, again, we talked on the panel, you started out in comedy.
2: Yeah, I think comedy is where I thought I was going to go. I was a big consumer of comedy. You know, I grew up with The Odd Couple and Mary Taylor Moore and and MASH and Barney Miller. and, And that's sort of what I thought I would do. Um, but I was also a huge Star Trek fan, um, uh-huh. and read, read all the Star Trek novels, even more than I watched the show. By I was James Blish. Song. Yes. The James Blish. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> those early, they had real sci-fi novelists come in and write those mm-hmm. books in the early years and they were fantastic and deep and, and Spock was having sex with things. And it was very, <laughs> it was very edgy really those early books. Um, and, and, uh, very like they really were designed to sort of spark your imagination and uh-huh. see it as a huge entire universe. Um, so uh, so sci- when it turned out that sci-fi was where there was an open door when Star Trek the Next Generation was the place you could send a script in I was delighted because that was a show I was already a fan of so that sort of got me into genre so I was I'd say I was an equally enthusiastic consumer of both and, and mm-hmm. happy to work in both and they've ended up to be where I have ended up doing because I, mm-hmm. I also have gone back to comedy periodically I did Andy Barker PI okay. and Jake and Progress and Now Husband so I'm I'm sort of sort of alternate between sci-fi and, and humor
0: And are they both comfortable to you or do you yeah. have to change is there a process in changing hats
2: comedy's harder comedy's right. always harder so yeah if you're sitting down to write a comedy script you have to like a lot more time and more like more time per line because the the lines are just individually yeah. so hard each line has to either set up a joke or pay it off or both
3: sure yeah. really so you, you think comedy is harder
2: Yes, yeah, so but you say that like it's a setup. Like, <laughs> 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 what am I walking so, into?
3: <laughs> no, it's just kind of, and again, this goes back to our, our shared experience on Buffy, is that wringing emotion out of anything is also mm. kind of a bigger picture, or perhaps perhaps not a bigger picture, but it's a, a it's so difficult to get right. that right. And you never know what emotion, you know what you're intending to do, but you never know what you're going to actually elicit out of the audience. Do you feel more comfortable with comedy? Do you feel like because you're funny, you feel like I'm on terra firma with comedy more?
2: I I guess putting comedy into a, a scene, like into a, a light drama, putting comedy into an episode of Battlestar Galactica, for example, I felt very comfortable. Um, even though it wasn't a show that was sort of set up to absorb a lot of comedy, like I felt like that made the scene spark and made them feel a little more human and a little more real. That felt very easy and comfortable and fun but sitting down to write a legitimate hard joke like multi-cam style comedy right uh that's very very hard i'd say that's harder than what you're talking about
3: you said something that i remember very well where you were talking about how much you loved comedy Mm -hmm. and i i think i suggested just for the hell of it you know what if you wrote a drama and or something that that had no humor in it just Mm. as an exercise Mm -hmm. and you said the most interesting thing you said you didn't want to do it Mm -hmm. and i was like oh okay you know whatever and you said because i find it unrealistic right and i thought that was so interesting you said life has comedy in it it's Mm -hmm. one of the ingredients all the time and i kind of it had a big influence on me wow even (laughs) when you do very dark stuff there's
2: yeah because again people are funny and people are often funniest when they're in the darkest place which can make either a, a dark drama as Battlestar often was like give it that spark of realism or you can do the reverse, which is you take a show like Roseanne, which had a character who was at her funniest, the more stressed she was or Chandler on friends. Like, and you, you end up with this character who when they're at their funniest, you know, that's a sign that they're under stress. So it's a way to like bring darkness into the comedy or comedy into the darkness. Like those are both important.
3: Well, it's very interesting because I've been, I've been exploring the idea of uh, writing a true I've been studying gangster films, Hmm. classic gangster films, going back to early Scorsese and watching Mean Streets again and stuff like that, and the the Cagney movies. Mm -hmm. And I've become really interested in writing a psychopath, like a true psychopath. And I haven't cracked it yet, but what I realized is that he's got to be funny.
2: Yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, Silence of the Lambs, like the humor in that character. He's got a great sense of humor. Yeah, absolutely. And
3: Heath Ledger is the Joker.
2: Yes. You know?
3: The terrific sense of humor because he, he's enjoying what he's doing and he's enjoying the effect that he's having on people. So he's a step ahead.
2: I remember we talked about how writing Angelus was a lot more fun than writing Angel for the same reason that when Angel was in villain mode, he was having fun.
3: He was having fun and he was being horrible. <laughs> and I remember doing a thing where and because Joss had that great idea about the one where he, he he pretends to be bad. He pretends to turn into Angelus. And I had. There was a, a sci-fi or a genre cliche of, you know, when someone you love turns evil, the thing that turns them back is your pure love, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you go, "Don't you remember me, Dad?" You know, back to like Lost in Space he says, "Don't you remember me?" And it's like, "Oh my God, what have I been doing? I've been so wrong." And they they turn back just by the force of
2: true love's kiss
3: uh, of true love's <laughs> right. kiss, or, or or the recognition of, mm-hmm. "Oh, I remember who I truly am." Their humanity is touched. You yeah. you've yeah. brought me back. Thank you so much. And I had him do a whole monologue of like, maybe Buffy, I can look in your eyes and see. And he does, he deconstructs the whole thing. He goes, and then we have reality. (laughs) And it was so horrible. And what was great about that episode, and I can't remember who this probably came from, Joss, but the idea that when it was all over, he played too rough. His jokes had an emotional validity to them because he was seeing into her heart and because he was being a complete dick. (laughs) (laughs) And when he was like that, he was 10 times funnier and more watchable than when he was you know uh in his angel mode well there's something fascinating and
0: freeing for a writer in writing one of these characters who doesn't have boundaries or at least doesn't recognize uh the boundaries that we recognize
3: Mm -hmm. well that's interesting yeah so there's a lot of id Mm -hmm. in that kind of a character and that kind of humor the person who will just say anything yeah
2: well, I was thinking I went to a whole other place which was that um villains need to have a sense of humor i would I would say so do heroes, like the pure good person is very boring if they can't also. Laugh at themselves. So one of my favorite things in Once Upon a Time has been like finding little humorous things for Mary Margaret. Um, <laughs> mm. You know, she's Snow White. How, what kind of joke does Snow White make? We don't imagine her as being someone Never. who can get out a good one. Um, but to, to find little things for her, and, and similarly for Willow and Tara, like those characters who are who are good and sweet, um, you can give them so much more depth by just giving them just that. Uh, doesn't even have to be snarky. Doesn't have to be mean. But just something observational and funny.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. It's it's interesting the way you uh phrase that though, to say, she's Snow White, what kind of a joke does Snow White make? And mm-hmm. I think this is something that a lot of especially beginning writers have trouble with, which is considering their character from that character's worldview, not necessarily from your writer worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh was this something that you guys struggled with early on? It seems to come very easily to both of you as
3: writers. Maybe oh, I'm wrong. Boy, I I struggled. I would I wouldn't I would dispense with the past tense on really? that <laughs> really? yeah. one. Yeah. I struggle with that constantly, constantly. Mm-hmm. And, and How do we do it?
2: Well, I, I mean, one trick is you reread your script a couple of different times as if you were the actor playing the mm-hmm. role and go okay i'm playing this if, if it was like a husband script it's really important to reread the husband scripts and go okay what if i was playing brady because it's so tempting to give all the lines to cheeks the more obviously comedic character and they have brady just say what sets up cheeks lines read them through going well, what if i were playing brady if how does the does this make sense as a person hmm. as opposed to just someone the, the setups um so that's one trick is just reread your script once for every character in it uh if you can stand it
3: <laughs> that's great advice that's really smart i never, I never 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 thought of it that way but i am i am very into this idea of internal and external are Mm -hmm. the words that i use with myself when i'm working on something when i'm creating something new and the idea of is this idea external or is this idea internal i don't know if all writers do this i know that i do and it comes from you know your original question of what was your steady diet you know what were you absorbing when you were when you were still forming and kind of the, the blessing and curse of, you know, I was joking with a friend of mine. I said, all writers have Asperger's. You know, we're all kind of <laughs> these living tape recorders who see the stuff and then spew it back just word for word. And, and, and we can quote every everybody Python quote or whatever.
2: <laughs> so what do you mean internal extra? I mean, like, like, as if you were, as if the drama were real versus you as a creator reading it. And-
3: I mean, like, is it like, and this is kind of a... a my my reputation i think is is that i'm very facile i can write quickly and glibly and that i have to take a breath and come back and kind of write with real heart and so i can because i could absorb a bunch of movies i can kind of spit back what i've seen with with very easily but it's not the best stuff the best stuff is the stuff that somehow and it's 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 difficult to describe but it comes from inside you whether you mm. Have a technique like, I'm going to read this script as if I was the actor. You know, that's putting yourself in there.
1: Right.
3: Is this someone who talks the way I would talk? What would I really do in these circumstances? However bizarre the circumstances may be, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. But what would I really do in this moment? And that takes yeah. more time and care and a kind of meditative calm that writing doesn't naturally lend itself to. <laughs>
2: and I think that can be done in the macro and the micro you can do what would I really do in the situation and forming plot and also I use it a lot in terms of what would I really say so I like to have characters interrupt other characters already knowing what they're about to say they've gotten ahead of it because that's what we all do all the time is is I'm halfway through the sentence you guys have decided what the end of the sentences you might easily cut me off and go yeah yeah but and so I have I like to ha- always think about what would I really say if someone said this to me would I wait for the end or when they said the incendiary word in the middle of the sentence would I be jumping in mm-hmm. so I, I have a a lot of overlap a lot of cutting off and a lot of people saying i know what you're going to say um just just don't yeah. don't let the characters sit there as if they're little machines that only turn on when the other person stops right. talking take
3: turns talking it's yeah. not how we work yeah. it's really fun to watch archer these days because it's the first animated show i've ever seen where they interrupt each other and then they finish each other's (laughs) sentences and then when he has one that he can't quite get off i mean there was a a, a great one where where his mother says to him you know i don't want anything going wrong tonight and he says well we better not let dr bellows know that genie is here (laughs) and she doesn't react at all and she goes on with the mission in a very real way and he goes he just keeps interjecting with yeah because that's from i the, <laughs> I, I the show with the bottle and the, the hole, and it was so. For it was an animated show, but it was so nice. much more realistic than yeah. a lot of the scripted stuff you see. Yeah, uh, there's also that
0: that uh, trick of interrupting dialogue came up in looking over the website as a great way to uh, give exposition.
2: Yes, um, particularly if someone interrupts themselves, which we do all the <laughs> time. Is uh, there's one in the, the episode of. Uh, once upon a time that just aired where or is it, maybe it's one that hasn't aired yet but a character says I'm not the one who needs and cuts himself off and then starts over again and you know that his next word was going to be forgiving but hmm. he doesn't so quite say it interesting and so mm-hmm. it's one of those where you go like oh I just learned something expositional about this character without ever actually hearing it
1: that's great yeah that's, great. Uh,
2: that's a that's a great little trick for all all aspiring screenwriters out there. Let your characters interrupt each other and interrupt themselves, and and don't think too much between the stage of deciding what you want, what the import is of what the character is going to say, and writing it down. Just start typing because hmm. the character is going to start thinking without knowing exactly what words they're going to use. So you might as well do the same thing. Let let your process be the same as their process
3: yeah don't don't let the editor get in the way of the writer the editor will show up later yeah exactly i was so influenced by um I heard uh, I was a big fan of *Inglorious Bastards*, and uh, Quentin Tarantino was talking about someone took him to task and said, "You know, you changed history. You know, they didn't really kill Hitler like that." It was very satisfying. It was a lot of fun, but that's not what happened. And, and how dare you? And I remember reading a bootleg copy of the script before it came out, and I was like, "Wow, how is he going to pull this off?" Because <laughs> this. And then I saw the movie, and I was like, and he answered the question quite beautifully. And I read an interview with him where he said well, I just followed the characters. He tried a couple of drafts. (laughs) I hope I'm getting this right. Quentin, if you're listening, big (laughs) big fan. Certainly. Sure, why not? Um, And he said that he followed the characters in this way, and he was so into Aldo the Apache and his guys, he's like, well, you know, if I really follow these characters, they're going to win. Like, they're going (laughs) to succeed in their mission because that's what these guys fucking do. And I was like, that's great. And he talked about uh, doing a a third uh, Kill Bill. And they said, well, you're going to get right on it. And he said, no, I'm going to take my time. They said, why? He said, because she really needs 10 years with her daughter.
1: (laughs) Wow. Wow.
3: (laughs) And I was so, I I kind of, that's something I want to grow into as a writer is, boy, wouldn't it be great to not start writing plot, but to start by writing character bios and kind of see Mm. where the characters take us and see, that's the approach now.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you guys about this because we actually have had a bunch of questions on Twitter about it. In creating original specs, uh, mm-hmm. pilots, or even when you guys go out to pitch your own material, where do you start? You know what's what's that process for you?
2: Ugh, I'm not good at it. I'm not good <laughs> at original characters. I'm not good at pitching my own stuff. I she like, says this, but you uh,
0: have gra- you had great advice about original characters. Yeah. Maybe you should go
1: reread your website. I should. I should reread my
2: website. I feel like I can create characters if I'm writing an episode of a show. Um, creating characters and then building a show around them. I, I guess I'm happy with the characters. I'm just. I just don't have a ton of faith in my ability to create a whole world. And I'm sorry that people out there that the currency has become spec pilots right now because I don't. Uh, I think so much of our job is chameleonship, being able to go on a show and get the voice and tone of yeah. a show. So if I'm when I'm set out to create a show, the first thing I do is I think of what are what's the tone that I want? And I think of similar shows. I think of like, what's a show that as a consumer that I love, um, and what's, what's, what's something with that same feeling. And then I come up with, yeah, characters that I love and sort of try to marry those together. Hmm
3: as a fan i have to respectfully disagree with you i i've been hearing you say this for a while and i think that it is a comfort zone for you to to kind of fit in a template that exists because it gives you such freedom it's like you know all of a sudden you're playing tennis with a net as opposed to tennis without a net right and and that's wonderful but i am positive that the moment you need to create an original world you're just going to kick ass
2: we'll see we'll see see. (laughs) this is a bet i can't lose because i can just fuck it up on purpose
0: (laughs) (laughs) it seems worth it (laughs) it absolutely seems worth it um but let's talk about that i mean you've pitched your own stuff uh yes let's talk about you know from conception to getting in the room and pitching it what's been you
3: know maybe a, a representative process for you oh gosh um well, there's you know these two scripts that I've been working on recently one of which I just recently threw out at the behest of my wife you know <laughs> where I, I kind of kept it secret and I did the, I did the worst thing you could do where I was kind of like I'm going to I'm going to write something that'll did I ever tell about my alter ego, Ty Cashman? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, when I become truly embittered, which is, oh, look, it's 20 minutes past the hour. Um, when I become truly, you know, just like like pissed off and embittered at Hollywood. And, and, and you see, you know, like, you work so hard and you put so much heart and soul into your script. And then you see this this crap that comes out and it's sold. You know, it's very hard to get away from this, this like angry self. It's like, well, you want crap? All right. Crap. And you just start <laughs> typing as fast as you can. Yeah. And I realized I'm terrible at it. Like I can't. I, I, You know, it's it's my curse is that I can't be a hack.
0: And, and I've tried. It's hard I've, to not care.
3: It's hard right? to not care. And it's hard to kind of like, I'll I'll write something. You know, you like that stuff? I'll, so I come up <laughs> with these terrible, terrible premises. And usually they're based on puns. And, <laughs> um, and I realized that I needed a, an alter ego to follow this through. So Ty Cashman is my <laughs> hack alter ego who writes crap for money. So he'll write like... Hit mom, you know, the, the story of the CIA assassin who becomes a mom in Bethesda, Maryland. And, you know, hijinks ensue. And, you know, you, you, you follow that path and um, nothing good can happen.
2: I don't know. I <laughs> there, there, there's a technique called 50 terrible ideas where you write down as many terrible ideas as you can. And the problem is that they start being brilliant. Well, and that's, my- that's why it's a good a good trick
3: my thing now and i've given this a lot of thought is is wouldn't it be wonderful uh, as an experiment if you could come up with a ty cashman premise Mm -hmm. written by doug Petrie? Mm -hmm. sure so then and i actually tried that with something that's too embarrassing to name but i tried it (laughs) for it was hit mom i tried it (laughs) (laughs) and i couldn't i I tried really hard for three weeks it's like can i find myself in these characters can i find something really worth doing and i found a lot of external cool stuff i found great action sequences i found fun moments i found but i couldn't do it hmm. it just it could not be done and i spoke about it with some dear writers who i i know well and they were like look if you're not in it don't do it but i looked for myself in something that was external and that's an experiment that i'm going to continue with to hmm. come up with a premise that's mm-hmm. just nutty or whatever you know mm-hmm. um, uh, there are many movies that, that, I, that I absolutely adore you know foul play mm-hmm. such a fun mm-hmm. movie uh, such a high concept and, and very simple but you know great whoever you know Colin Higgins who created that really really meant it so mm-hmm. so now what I'm doing is again going back to this I, I like and this goes back to the comedy thing where I'm so invested in the id and the idea of a true sociopath a true criminal psychopath who is funny and smart and greedy and eager but really isn't is ultimately self-destructive but lacks empathy so can say absolutely (laughs) anything because that's the marking Mm -hmm. characteristic of a Mm -hmm. sociopath or a psychopath is that they just literally like if they shoot you if they hurt your feelings whatever they just don't care they they're they're just missing those fuses that that work so the idea of exploring that character and seeing what happens and comes out of that, will it be a comedy? Will it be a cop movie? I don't know, but I'm interested in following that. So that's <laughs> none of which is a, a way to pitch things. These are still kind of they're not soup yet,
0: right? Yeah this this is sort of that idea gathering stage that you have to go through.
3: Right. Yeah.
2: And and it's interesting, and when you start talking about, like, hit mom, like, suddenly I get excited and I start feeling like, like, like given some wacky premise where the where the task is, like, here's an idea, make it work, that's when I start feeling like, maybe I can do this. It's like, I just need the illusion of there being, I a, guess, a, a, the net, someone saying, like, make this premise work. And it's like, and I was thinking, well, do I have, is there a counterexample in Husbands in that there's a thing that, that Cheeks and Brad Bell and I created together, and it's like... Somehow that didn't feel the way it feels when I have to go pitch a pilot or something. Hmm. It felt why not? Do you think? Maybe because we we came up with it together, and so there was there was the sense of like, well, if he thinks it's good, maybe I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. Like like you know, uh,
0: certainly you're having that microcosm of a room
2: yeah when you're yeah, working with. Exactly. A partner. yeah, I think working. I mean, you've worked with a writing mm-hmm. partner for years, and I think there is something to be said for. It. I'd never never worked with one together before, except when you and I, Doug would write stuff together at Buffy. So, yeah, um,
0: Well, this was actually something I wanted to talk about a little bit. Um, we've talked about it how it works on other series where sometimes you're paired with someone. Is that how it worked on Buffy? Were you guys paired up together? Or did you choose to work together? Because it was – I think you and I have talked about this, Doug, where it was my, always a good uh, good fit. Yeah, it yeah. was
3: always a good fit. And it, my recollection is that there's a couple of scripts, you know, a, a good solid handful of scripts that we have uh, a shared credit on. But it was more like it was less being assigned, okay, you guys are now partnered up. It was more just a natural kind of tennis game that we got into where I'd send stuff to Jane and <laughs> she would punch it up and send it back. And it would be funnier. And then I would say, hey, how about this? And – we we kind of throw it back and forth a lot.
2: Yeah, and there was one script I remember where normally what we did is we split it in half, and like you took right. Acts one and two, and I take Acts three and four, and then we trade them. But there was one script where for whatever reason you weren't available to do anything on the first pass, so I wrote a whole words and paper draft, and then you totally rewrote it, and then I t- and it was it was sort of a disaster. I mean, we were having fun, but like you threw out everything I did and wrote a whole new thing, and then I threw out everything you had done right. and wrote a whole new, ver- and it was like we weren't we're We're better at splitting stuff, I think
3: <laughs> well yeah, we because yeah. we have our kind of i think because the the internal engine is kind of up and running if you get two right. acts right. you get to and there was i think there was too much freedom to rewrite mm-hmm. each other in that yeah. particular process, and then I remember we would literally flip a coin to see whose name went first
1: oh yeah, <laughs>
2: that's cool that' was fun. <laughs> It's Wait not, a minute! If I'd just gone with the alphabet, we wouldn't. There wouldn't have been any questions.
1: <laughs> you really yeah. should have thought about it. Yeah.
3: You didn't think that one through. Um, it was a two-headed coin, by the way. Sociopath. Yeah. Even yes. then, he was planning. Yeah. And I can't feel your pain right now. Total psychopath. <laughs> Um,
0: Let's talk about this trend towards uh, writing original spec material, Um, because you do make a very good point about it, Jane, which is it's not generally what you're called upon to do when you get a writing job. There are a handful, although not many, people who write their spec script or pitch an original idea and then get to go make that show. Right. but we've seen in the past few years that the trend has become show us something original to the point where it's you know beyond a spec pilot, it's a story or yeah a play. people get
2: hired off plays and short stories
1: yeah, so yeah.
0: um why do you think this change and <laughs> and you know will it swing back? Can we hope that it'll swing back? And is it ultimately, like, I don't want to say, is it a good thing, but uh, that's what I'm basically asking.
2: I mean, I think it's harder. I think it's harder to write a spec pilot. So maybe it's raising the bar, but I just feel it's just such an odd match with what the job ultimately is. Oh,
3: yeah. I can't really speak to it on the receiving end of like, I'm, I'm the new showrunner. who has got a pile of scripts and, oh God, how am I going to read all these? And I've got to find a writer and I'm under a lot of pressure. I, Having said all that, I don't believe it. Like I don't believe in it. I think that if you were in that position and you're looking for a great writer, if you found you know an archer or community script on your desk and you read it and it blew you away, you'd hire that person or you'd at the very least say bring this person in for an interview. I so I'm, I know that it's the trend, but I question it. I think if you write a, a dynamite piece of material, whether it's you know the template you're talking about of like you want. The structure pre-told mm-hmm. to you, and you can fit that structure, or whether it's something you made up out of whole cloth. I don't think the people who are hiring really care. Mm-hmm. I think they want something that just shows a tremendous amount of wit and heart, and and structure, and it just blows them away and speaks mm-hmm. to
0: them. Yeah, I think a thing that often gets glossed over in these conversations and the panels that we have is that none of these rules uh, right. in this industry are hard and fast. Right. You know, yeah. it's all everything's very gray, uh, even. From show to show, from person mm-hmm. to person.
3: Well, it's funny because I wrote a, uh, you know, I wrote a monster movie uh, called Mother that went out, and it was a hybrid of many, many things. I called it the Breakfast Club with weapons. We'd spoken about it before, and it, you know, it was dear to my heart. But that we would get feedback from television, so so it was perfect in terms of this new model. Like, okay, this is an original piece of writing. People would read it. It's like we can't use this; it's too dark. Or we can't use this. It's too comedic or we can't use this for, you know, and ultimately, of course, each time I thought, Oh, I suck. It's like, (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm terrible in in a new way today. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there, there is a danger of, uh, when you're doing your original material that, that it, it has to fit a template, you know? So if you, you know, a specific show is going to be looking for specific things. And if your original material has broader ambitions or is a hybrid, you can you can you know write yourself out of the game
1: Mm -hmm.
0: let's uh let's talk about um writing these original specs uh again we've had a lot of questions about them um specifically again the trend is towards serialized shows right you know we're not really turning out Monster of the week or case of the week shows anymore,
2: which is why I think that this big or at least one yeah. of the big reasons why that we've gone toward this turn toward original specs as, as the calling cards instead of episodes of shows is that with everything serialized, it became very hard to write a standalone episode of something of, of a soap, yeah, you absolutely. Know, you'd have to guess where it was going yeah. uh, or freeze time right when you wrote it, right. and you know it's it's harder um, so yeah, so writing episode one of something makes a lot of sense although i thought it was great that people were able to use creativity to figure out how to do that in the old form mm-hmm. people i knew people who wrote spec 24s by writing hour 1 of a season of 24 that's like, really smart it's a yeah. great solution to the problem yeah it's, yeah. it's a
3: great solution cuz yeah everything else is a moving target you know if it's yeah. not season 3 of next or or you know episode 3 of next year right they're already they've already done it they've already right. shot it so they're yeah. they're ahead of you by definition yeah, yeah
0: um but in writing so so now that we are all writing (laughs) the beginning of heavily serialized shows we're writing original material um you know let's let's talk about doing because you guys have had practical experience on this as well in writing the first episode or even just pitching the first episode of a heavy heavily serialized show how much do you give away how much do you hold back how do you even approach this uh this beast
2: well if it's if it's the, if you're still thinking about like a spec pilot that someone's using as their calling card, they shouldn't be holding anything back mm-hmm. except sort of, you know, tantalizing possibilities of where the show's gonna go. But um in general, you know leave it all on the field, take it all off the field. <laughs> what is the expression? Yeah. That's what you should be doing is is, is never don't I think a lot of young writers sort of go into it with the sense of like, I've got this whole thing plotted out in my mind. I've got 40 right. episodes planned in my mind, so I'm not going to put all my best stuff in that first one. You're not going to get to episode two unless episode one has everything you can possibly throw into in terms of quality and depth and, and reveals and stuff. I would say, mm-hmm. like, just go for it.
3: Yeah, we're, we're we're building a pitch now. Um, you know, I was talking about I, I shot a short film and literally uh, it's about two and a half minutes long. It's got a very high concept and literally on the day of shooting, one of the actors said, well, what happens later? And I was like, well, your character is going to do this and your character's is going to do that. And we started talking. And I was like, oh, we have a series, so we're going to pitch it. And we're still nice. building it mm-hmm. in terms of it has a mythology. But the things that I thought were most interesting about it or what at least what my agents are saying is not what's most interesting about it. And what it comes back to is who are these characters? What are their relationships? How does that work? And the the high concept of it, you get it in 2 seconds or you don't, mm-hmm. you know. So you're kind of done with that that tool and then it all becomes can you pitch characters that they love? And this is You'll find this interesting, Jane, Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps. I'm listening. Well, we're on radio, so I had to say who I was looking at. Um, He's a psychopath. (laughs) He
1: keeps saying people's names. That's unnatural.
3: (laughs) Um, It is... uh,
2: uh, you, I was going to find it interesting.
3: <laughs> yes, you were. And then I completely spaced on what I was going to be saying.
2: Um, uh, relationships, you get it in two seconds or you don't.
3: Yes. This is the part we're cutting out.
0: Right? <laughs> this is the only part we're keeping.
3: Yes. This is the only part we're keeping. Thank you so much. I, I'm so sorry. I'm completely sober and I completely forgot. <laughs> no, what were I. What are you
1: talking about? <laughs>
3: <You're> not listening. <laughs>
2: we didn't have enough clues about where you were going You know where Um, you were
3: going the thing your agent responded to oh this is yes thank you thank you right where we were well Jane um, (laughs) because my uh, reputation in the industry is not having written comedy the pitch itself I'm told has to be funny Mm -hmm. so and going back years and years I I did stand up years and years ago and so I'm looking at this as a a fresh opportunity to do 12 killer minutes (laughs) so the pitch Mm -hmm. itself I'm going to try to make as funny as possible because I have to actually sell in the room that I can be funny, which Mm -hmm. most of my friends don't think is something that I need to tell. But (laughs) if you look at my resume, there's not a lot of straight up comedy on it. So I have to make that my number one priority is to sell these characters, but to actually when I talk about the pilot episode and the mythology of it, and you're absolutely correct, it'll be pilot heavy. And then mythology kind of sprinkled in, kind of to trail in afterwards. But mostly it's the style of the pitch itself almost has to be like a stand up routine, which I'm really looking forward to doing.
2: Oh my God, you're going to be fantastic at that. I can imagine the reverse being a problem because you're so naturally funny and you say things in a funny way. If they if they were like, this pitch has to, to convince them that you're serious. You can't be funny in the pitch. Then I could imagine you having a problem. But but this, oh, it's gonna you're going to be great. You're going to kill. I'm going to well, kill. This, this <laughs>
0: actually suggests to me a couple of questions that I've had that Acker and I have faced. You know, we like to do a very casual kind of pitch where we try to be funny in the room no matter what we're pitching. Uh, and generally we've pitched light stuff, but... You know is your advice to be serious for a serious show?
2: No, because people want to laugh, and they want to have a
0: good
1: time in the yeah,
2: room. Yeah, I remember pitching an episode of uh, Star Trek Next Generation years and years and years ago. There was this, a serious episode with a space battle in it where they were battling a lot of little tiny aliens and little <laughs> tiny ships, um, like one man ships, but there's a whole swarm of them, so it had to do with like concepts of you know the the power of the individual and blah blah blah, blah. and so and, and so i was talking about the fight between the enterprise and all these little ships and i said you know like it's like a bunch of mosquitoes trying to bring down a prairie dog and they all laughed and it was like it wasn't a funny moment but i knew i had scored because i mm-hmm. got that laugh yeah. it, it's like they were connecting with what i was saying
3: it's also a great image it yeah. kind of yeah. gives you the scale like because my yeah. as a science fictioner I'm like wait how big are the little ships yeah. Right. Yeah. and it's like a bunch of mosquitoes taking down a prairie dog it's like got it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. you know
2: yeah. So yeah, don't shy away from that stuff. I'd say, be, and also because laughter relaxes people. Mm-hmm. You want them relaxed. You want them to have good associations with your having been there. So I think it's always worthwhile being funny in a pitch, uh-huh. and be front of your chair. Don't lean. Just do the same instructions you'd give an actor. Like don't lean back against the back of the sofa. Sit forward. Free free your hands up. Mm-hmm. Wave your hands around. Make eye contact. Big smiles. Mm-hmm. Like all that that engaging stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, you're answering the question that, that uh, the Miss USA host is asking you. Engage.
3: Yeah, well, so, or Captain Picard. <laughs> <laughs> so much of it is in, in a pitch is, is what they're, you know, do they want to spend? Because if they say yes, you know, two things have to happen. One, they have to walk down the hall and tell their boss, we're about to spend a lot of money. You know, so they may be giving you this, this poker face as you're as you're going you're like, Oh, I'm bombing, I'm bombing. It's like, no, I'm making them spend money, so they look hmm. very serious. And the other thing they're they're really checking out is if this works, I'm gonna have to spend a tremendous amount of time with this person. Do I like this person? Do I wanna spend a lot of time with this person? Because I'm gonna do I wanna go into the trenches with this person? Sure. Do I wanna argue with this person? Because all of those things are going to happen. So they're really checking out it's you know, it's really a first date for a very serious commitment. So
0: mm-hmm. Which is good advice for staffing as well. And I remember we talked about this when you were on the panel.
2: And even before that, I was once in a situation where I first got to town um, and I befriended someone who got me to, I, I had an agent already, I befriended someone who was also an aspiring writer who said, can you give my sample to your agent to read? And I did. And then I got a call a couple weeks later from the agent's assistant saying, okay, here's what happened. Like... The material had come to her, to the assistant. She had read it, called the person with notes. And mm-hmm. he had, you know, sort of like, like, you know, I've read it. My boss hasn't read it yet. But here, you know, before I hand it to him, this is what you'll need to do to make it look more professional and make it a little bit. And he had gone off on her. He had like yelled at this agent's assistant. And then the agent's assistant had called me and said, like. You should tell your friend that he's going to be dealing with a lot of assistants and assistants are the people who do the reading and assistants are going to be the gatekeepers. And he shouldn't be yelling at assistants. If he thinks that's going to help the boss read the like now it can never go to the boss. Like, like, and so like be kind all along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
3: Yeah, absolutely. And the definition of assistant, uh, you know, that just keeps going up and Mm -hmm. up and up because when you're doing a screenplay and you're dealing with the producers and these can be very powerful, very well-known producers, they're the assistant to the studio. You know, they'll never admit that, you know, and their their vanity plate doesn't say assistant, you know, but they really are. They're they're in the exact same role yeah. as that person. It's like they're facilitating who ultimately is their boss and you figure even the heads of major studios are going to have to go to their shareholders and stuff and say, "Okay, we're going to make this investment." So Everybody has a boss and everybody in no matter how powerful they are in a way everybody's an assistant. <laughs> so be nice to all the assistants. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, good advice. <clears throat>
0: let's um let's get into some nuts and bolts about uh actual writing. Um something that's come up quite a bit uh for, at least for Ben and me uh recently has been the idea of stakes in a pilot or a feature mm-hmm. whatever it is. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, you know, honestly, here's what we've been through is our biggest influences are Buffy and the West Wing, right? You know, these are shows about the smartest people doing the best that they can, uh, who are glib in the face of danger, (laughs) um, whose emotional lives might be a wreck, Mm -hmm. but you know, the outside forces, which I think is what the people giving us notes are talking about when they're talking about stakes don't seem so big when you're protagonist can be a little flip about it. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows he can handle it. Uh, how do you guys approach this? You know, you've dealt in, I think Battlestar is a great example of these characters who are at the top of their game, but at the end of their rope.
2: Right. Well, I think some of it is helped by what I was talking about earlier. If you if you establish that a particular character gets glibber when the danger is higher, um, then you get something, you get both. You get mm-hmm. You get to heighten Both at the same time, and we've we often talked at Buffy about how people talk about comedy versus stakes as if you lower one well and the water table goes up in the other one. But in fact water tables yeah. work because they both go up at the same time. Um and, and they absolutely can. Characters can get funnier as the danger goes higher because when do you need to laugh when you're scared? Mm-hmm. Um so I think I think there's a way um to to have both. And the West Wing's a great example of it too. I mean Buffy and West Wing that's those are it's a great pair actually. Um that the jokes they would make would be dark enough. I'm, I recently reread that pilot, and they're talking about pure, poor Cuban refugees on rafts trying to get to our shores, and they sort of painted this picture of like they said, you know, to th- these aren't boats. To call them a raft would be kind, mm-hmm. and then, then they sort of, you know, and they're talking about, you know, the. the the poverty and desperation of these people in, but they're doing it in these cushy white house halls, but some, that the words they choose, the way they describe their plight Hmm. brings it home. And maybe the fact that they're, that these, that these comfortable people are bothering to be worried about it is also part of what brings it home. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah, Also there's a, there's, you know, internal and external definitions of stakes, you know, which I, I find very helpful. You know, I wrote uh, a, a draft of Houdini where, um, you know, it's, it's this very kind of end-of-the-world scenario. and But that's the external stakes. And hmm. really what it's about is, and this is what I found most fascinating about the character of Houdini, is that he's not Houdini. He's not Harry Houdini. He made that up. He's Eric Weiss. He's mm-hmm. a rabbi's son from Milwaukee. He made the whole thing up. And at the end, he's kind of like, I'm going to go up against a guy who's going to kick my ass in front of all of New York. This is basically the biggest show I've ever been a part of. And I'm going to lose. And I'm going to be exposed. And everyone's going to know I made the whole thing up. And then someone says, You know that thing that you made up, that Harry Houdini? You escaped death in front of immigrants and you gave them the hope to live on. So you tell me what magic is. And sure. that gives him kind of that's kind of his seizing the sword moment in the Joseph Campbell steps of kind of like, Yeah, okay, I am important. And Michael Arndt uh did a great thing. This is kind of this bootleg tape that's going around about uh called Act Three's the uh, Hollywood endings, the good, the bad and the insanely great. And he deconstructed the ending of Star Wars and the stakes of Star Wars. And you your Star Wars. Oh, great. They're going to blow up Alderaan, you know, or excuse, me, they did blow up. Alderaan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My nerd card's going to be revoked. <laughs> <you're> in <Meltdown. laughs> um, They're going to be fourth money And they're going after the fourth moon of Yav, And I knew that.
1: <laughs> and,
3: but he talks about the most important scene in Star Wars is when is actually the most mundane is when his uncle says to him, you're just a farmer. You can join the force next year. You can join the, you know, the, the rebels next year. And, when he's doing that we don't really care about the galaxy we do but not really because it's a concept you know we don't really yeah. care about the rebels and all this stuff the the thing for luke in that moment when he chooses to use the force it's the incredibly exciting moment in in movie history and what this guy explained to me and i never thought of this before and i've seen that movie thousands of times is that if he doesn't make this impossible shot his uncle's right <laughs> he's a nobody and so it's like, are you a nobody or do you have this noble destiny that you've always dreamed of? And that's the moment. Those are the real stakes for that character. And I think that those are the, those. that's the reason that boys in particular and adolescents for all time will watch this movie and go like, am I worth something or not? That's why it's such a hugely emotional trigger.
2: Uh, the girls too. Uh, and I thought more about, yes, I think you're exactly right. The, the internal stakes, the emotional stakes are what really matter. And I thought back to the West Wing pilot. The other story that's going on in that West Wing pilot was Josh has offended, Josh has offended this Christian group mm-hmm. and you think the stakes are all, but is he going to get fired? You can, is he going to get fired? Is he going to let down the president? Is this going to have bad ramifications for the president? Those things are going on, but those are all sort of like conceptual, mm-hmm. um, it, it, when they actually get face to face with this offended group, and the offended group says something about a New York sense of humor, mm-hmm. and then suddenly somebody in the room go, gets really mad and like kicks them out on their ear because, like, you are being anti Semitic in this moment. That's what this is really about. And you sort of go, like, it suddenly got personal. And there suddenly were personal stakes of are we going to give in to these jerks mm-hmm. who are who have you know are are now enemies in a much more concrete emotional right. personal way. Yeah, those
0: conceptual stakes became very yeah. real and yeah. emotional and personal. Yeah, that's exactly. that's really that's smart storytelling.
2: Yep. <laughs> yep. He may be on to something. Yeah. That's he
0: may be going places yeah. he's got a future. <laughs>
2: um, which is actually
0: you know, that that show and Buffy as well and a number of other shows that we've talked about here today have been sort of ahead of their time in using a lot of the tricks that you talk about uh, on on your blog. Uh, audiences are these uh, ravenous consumers. Uh, I think now more than ever. Can we rely on those old tricks? Are there new tricks that uh, you guys have learned? You know, even in the past year, you've been on different staffs uh, than when we first talked.
1: Hmm. Take a moment. Still... We can edit out the thinking. We can edit
0: the thinking part. <laughs>
2: New tricks. I think it's still just about about make the characters smart and force the audience to be smart.
3: I think if you can unpeel one layer, and again, I keep coming back to Archer because someone showed <laughs> me one episode and I just instantly became addicted. Mm-hmm. But what I find fascinating about it is that for all its glibness and for all its you know selfish, surfacy narcissism, he's a real character. Mm-hmm. And every episode they unpeel one tiny little facet of his character and i find that so endlessly appealing so what i keep coming back to that show for is to learn more about this guy you Very know
2: house like it sounds like house yeah yeah i and i agree I, I i watch house for that one little layer that comes out
3: yeah what did i not know about this guy what's the vulnerability underneath you know the the show mm-hmm. you know and the fact that he's such a well-drawn and, and rounded-out character that they can do that, that they can hand out, you know, deal out one card at a time, see how far they get. Hmm.
2: And I think, I mean, I'm thinking about the lessons I've learned doing husbands, which is the first thing I've done where you really feel like, I'm working in a new form now. This is mm-hmm. really quite different. An, an act break every two pages, <laughs> that's <laughs> genuinely different than anything that, that I've done before. Yeah. Um, and sort of the speed with which you can... Make clear the, the the sheer economy you can employ, make clear who these characters are when they've just showed up on the screen a second ago mm-hmm. um, and to get the story to a turning point without making it shallow the the when you start realizing how much can be pared out it's the same revelation you have in the editing room every time you go in to edit something it's like oh my god I, this scene can be half as long as when i wrote it and i thought every word was necessary when i wrote it i thought i was already being draconian and then you realize like so much more can come out and i guess that's the big lessons i've learned is that there's almost no limit <laughs> on this brevity thing it's like those six word novels you know you've heard that thing i, like,
3: I have not heard of six word oh novels but it's brilliant it is it's <laughs> absolutely
2: brilliant um there was—it was some contest that, like, like, Mark Twain and other people got into—like, I may be getting the history entirely wrong, but the, the task was to write a complete story in six words, and somebody came up with, um, for sale, baby shoes, never used— it's just like, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, like you just went on a whole journey. That's right. heartbreaking. Those, yes, yes. It broke your heart words. In six broke, words. It broke your heart in six words. And to sort of uh, like like we keep thinking that like, well, the, the shortest anything can get will be 22 minutes. That's like a sitcom length. And then we go, oh, no, wait, I can tell. I can tell an episode of a sitcom in two pages, <laughs> like, um, and you, you, or at least a scene in two pages, mm-hmm. um, you start realizing, like, like let's just keep paring it down.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, and it extends beyond writing. I, where I would kind of split the difference with you is when you say, you know, they weren't necessary when I wrote them. I think they were necessary when you mm, wrote them. Right. It's Then there's the, the, all that other stuff of, like, then you put it on its feet, the right. actors contribute, and then kind mm-hmm. of... Maybe an ad lib, or maybe it was exactly what your text was. Kind of, but the pairing it back. The, and again, right. I come back to this short film that I made. That was, at one point, it was three minutes and forty-eight seconds long. And I showed it to some people, and they said, "This is interminable." And I'm
1: like, <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. what? And it's not even a pop song. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like you know,
3: it's, mm-hmm. and um, now it's two minutes and thirty-eight seconds mm-hmm. long. Which you, you cut a minute and five seconds from a three and a half minute movie. That's a, a substantial cut. Now, we didn't do any rearranging. We just cut mm-hmm. within the moments. Wow. But the thing that I have, and I completely agree, is the audience is so far ahead of you right. at all times. And the stuff that you think yeah. that they need, man, they get it fast. what's the old saying you know individually they're idiots collectively they're a genius (laughs) you know but like collectively they're a genius and we're just trying to you know talk to a genius but they are so far ahead of you at all times
2: well think of how many times you've turned on the TV and you realize you're joining a movie halfway and then by the end of the movie, you've forgotten that you didn't see the first half of the movie. You filled in everything. You know who those people are and who their relationship. You figured out they were sisters the second she walked in the room. You didn't need the scene that established that at the start of the movie.
3: Yeah, you get there and, right away.
2: Yeah, and so, yeah, that's uh, – but you're right. You did need it when you wrote it. That I've, I've learned more and more about how um, changing something in editing doesn't mean it was a failure of the script it's just the next stage Mm -hmm. in the script it's this is this is how it has to go you got a whole you got more bay leaves than you've got stew the stuff that you fish out at the end is substantial
3: i think that's really healthy is to kind of like look at the bigger part of the process you know like noreen shankar who ran csi one of the writers was in the editing room holding a script as we've all done you're holding your script and he said something that kind of changed my life creatively he pointed at the script and he said that no longer exists <laughs> and he was right. He goes, What we have is the footage that's on the screen. That's all we have. And I yeah. thought that that was such a smart yeah. way to go with that and to continue to, you know, burn your bridges behind you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the script goes away, and then there's the day of shooting, which is always stressful. And then there's the in the editing room where you mm-hmm. have all those choices, which are daunting. Right. <laughs> that's
0: really interesting. And a lot of the advice from uh, on, on your blog, Jane, from You know, the smallest thing about, you know, how to turn a joke so it's not a clam Mm -hmm. to introducing characters and things was so much about engaging the audience in the conversation. Right. You know, And, and I wonder, do you guys think that this is where, you know, we hear horror stories about dumbing down and bad notes? Do you think it's about not these notes are coming from not trusting the audience to do some of the work? Absolutely.
2: Yeah. The the when I hear a bad note that is almost always exactly what it is. And and good notes are when the executive just tells you what their reaction as mm-hmm. an intelligent viewer is. And they go, this bumped me. I was confused. Yeah. This felt slow to me. Then then you can deal with that. But when they go like I worry that some people may not understand, then then they're they're not giving the audience credit and then you're in, then you may be in trouble. Well,
3: that's really interesting that even from an executive point of view there's the internal and the external. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good note is internal. It's like yeah. I was confused here, or I didn't feel emotion here. But this external thing, there's this mythical Midwest, and right. I have a sister who lives in the Midwest. She's really smart, <laughs> you know. So I know there's one smart person in the Midwest. <laughs> but they use this the, the Midwest as this kind of yeah. uh, shorthand for the well. In the Midwest, they're not going to get it. It's like bullshit. They will, of course. And you, but but they are speaking for this. Somebody else will think this, mm-hmm. and when you start second guessing with someone else as a writer, mm-hmm. or I, I suppose as an executive, y- you know you're not going to create something good. Hmm.
2: Yeah, you're going to end up with yeah the flashbacks within scenes to the previous scene to make things super clear. Like, like clarity is important, and pay attention to when people might get confused. But if you're ju- if you're over explaining. Uh, or making the characters slow so that you can get your exposition out, then I think you end up with stuff that that is more and more and more not going to fly with the audience because the audience has so many more choices now. The audience can go to the internet and get two minute scenes yeah.
3: that, that where they're where not get being it all done. To exactly. they're not, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're not having things explained to them because yeah. they got it. They got it quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Um,
0: on the topic of clams. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to just recap what that what that uh, slang term means?
2: It's a, a familiar joke—the joke you've heard a million times. When the characters say it, "It's the um, did I say that out loud?"
3: Like, <laughs> you, you've heard
2: this. now. Well, it made you laugh, but but mostly people I are... didn't see it
3: coming. <laughs> As an example, yes. that, that's still around. The, did I yes. say that out loud? I, I still say, hear, it. and I'm always stunned. I'm like, yeah. there there should be some kind of like, legislation or something against it.
2: If you've heard it, don't write it.
3: It, it
0: was always a fun discussion when you would discover a new one. Uh, yeah,
2: because yeah, new ones come along because absolutely. it was really fresh when you first heard it, yeah. and then and then it starts it starts being clammy. And uh,
0: this is the question I was going to ask: Have you guys found some clams in the past couple of years that maybe we haven't uh, seen before?
2: Oh yeah, they prop, pop up all the time, or uh. even
0: just tired. Things that, that have become tired, you know, that our listeners can take as advice to maybe, you know, shift your perspective on, on the pilot you're writing or on the spec you're writing.
2: Well, it's interesting that clams exist at all levels. Clam can be as, as familiar as, well, that went well, mm-hmm. um, or all the way to, you know, and the person you least thought was going to be the killer turns out to be the narrator of the story, you know, yeah. like, which was when when Agatha Christie wrote the murder of Roger Ackroyd that was that was, Ooh, I just gave away. <laughs>
3: I've never read that. Oh, Thanks.
2: Well, now, you know, nope, don't bother. Um, but
3: <laughs> There's a novel I would never have read that I can't read. Exactly. <laughs> it's
2: very, very good. Um, <laughs> But anyway, the narrator is the killer, if I'm I'm remembering correctly. (laughs)
3: Yes. For those of you who didn't have the novel ruined five seconds ago, Jane will flash back to five seconds ago and ruin the novel again.
2: again. (laughs) Yay. Uh, I'm trying to think if I've heard any... Recently, that 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 have started to rank. I'm sure I have. The,
3: the but the, uh, it, you took the one I was going to think. I was like, oh, is that my outdoor voice? Or Did I say that out loud? I just yeah. kind of like, I can't believe you still use that.
2: Yeah, amazing. And yeah, yeah. We got into we got into what could have been a bad habit on husbands of the the self referential. Um, uh, you know, Haley exits. Cheeks gives a quizzical look. Where the characters say the sight the. the <laughs> stage directions um and we sort of rationalized it as like these are characters who are playing actors so this is how hmm. actors see their world Funny. but as we're as we're playing with more husband's material we're, we're trying to sort of dial that back because people have seen that and enjoyed that now
3: mm. um something yeah. that i've seen that it's kind of the the anti-climb and again i keep coming back to archer and community because those are the shows that i'm watching but Ooh, like community. in those <laughs> shows they will someone will about to say a clam, Mm -hmm. someone else will stop them and say, don't say the thing that you're going to say that another Mm -hmm. show would actually have just put on the air and you're done. And then where I really start to have fun is that as a runner, the characters in the show will continue to pitch Mm -hmm. on the Mm -hmm. thing. You know, so Mm -hmm. Archer is always like, he's got some James Bond witticism that he's still working on Mm -hmm. in the moment of getting shot at. Um, So you can actually, I think that's where if as a writer, you run into a clam meta is your friend <laughs>
2: yeah but even that could become a clam the right. person who almost says the thing and doesn't that could if that gets overused that will start in itself to to smell a bit clammy
3: it just might smell a bit clean. Mm. <laughs> be careful. careful out there.
1: Yeah. Be yeah. careful out there.
0: <laughs> if you take one thing from this, it's be careful out yeah.
1: there. Um, I,
0: I wonder about that, and I've talked to a lot of friends about uh, community in particular. Um, we are all fans here, but we also have friends who just can't hang with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there, and that, and I think your example is a good one, is there something too clever about that? You know, this is not a show that my mom can watch.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. That that certain shows that I adore, Thirty Rock, Community, and Arrested Development. I have friends who I respect very much yeah. um, who just feel uh, they're left cold by it. They don't mm-hmm. feel an emotional connection. They feel it's too clever mm-hmm. and not heartfelt enough. But I don't. I think Community to, in particular does a great job of uh, funny, 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 high level, thinky, mm-hmm. thinky comedy, and then just boom, like. Jeff gives Britta a look, and you're yeah. like, "Oh, I my heartstrings." Yeah, just I think
0: of of twang. those shows that you it, name. Community does have a warmth at the center mm-hmm. of it. Um,
2: it really does. I think it's which brilliant. comes,
0: you know, from the writers to the cast to everyone mm-hmm. involved. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, that that was my complaint about Arrested Development is, I couldn't love these characters. It's very clever. It's very funny, mm-hmm. um, but I. I I was left cold by it. I, I can see that.
3: It's <laughs> funny because I've never been, I, personally, I've never been left out in the cold by, by, you know, high levels of wit. But there are shows that had a high level of wit where I was thinking you, there, there's kind of a, I, I don't know how to describe it, to say it's almost like a vacuum. It's like there's no room for me mm-hmm. in there. And I think that part of the appeal of television is that you want to hang out with these people and you want them to hang out with you. And the idea of if I was in one of these fictional worlds, which is the the, the fantasy that draws us to television, is like, wow, I'd love for them to be my friends. You know, I'd love to hang out with them. And if there's no room for me in that group, it doesn't really matter how well written it is. Hmm. I I can't fit in. So I go watch something else or go watch something else. Mm
2: -hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm.
0: Uh, Is this something that you have to think about in creating your own material?
2: If you think about too many things, you'll never create anything. <laughs>
1: that, <So>. is <laughs> that is true. That uh, is true.
2: And and there are you know even shows that leave us cold or left you cold. But I liked it. You know, you write what you would want to see as a viewer. That's mm-hmm. the main advice I always give people: is what's the show that's missing from your roundup that you wish was <laughs> on that you could turn on the TV and watch right now? That's what you should write.
3: Yeah. Stop thinking, America says Jane S. Yes. <laughs> Stop so, thinking, start yeah. typing. It's yeah. there's a lot to be said for that. I think and and again, it's very very hard, especially. I was going to say, especially if you're starting out, but not even especially if you're starting out. When you really want it, that that Ty Cashman voice of <laughs> like, I want the uh, the end result. Mm-hmm. You know, I want a hit. I want a success. I want whatever, and so I'll I'll give them what they want. It's it's doomed to fail from the beginning. And you do have to write exactly what you would want to see. And I think that this is where multiple drafts help you out is that you write something that seemed like fresh and original and then you go back and oh it's a little bit of a clam and can you know uh jane was always looking at her own scripts and going you know can i top this mm-hmm. you know looking mm-hmm. at her own scripts can i top this and you know ultimately it had to be pulled out of her hands while she's still <laughs> trying to talk that we have to you know it, we got a job we got to film something you know? <laughs> they're waiting downstairs uh, no but um you know, can you can you continue to to hone it and make it mm-hmm. your own voice, and can you delight and surprise yourself? You know, which is where um, I I I just want to go back for a second and say something for uh, cliches as placeholders. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that they're perfectly okay as placeholders, especially with narrative. You know, I think that you look at a classic like Citizen Kane. I mean, every character in that is a rampaging cliche I mean it's incredible you've got the sputtering banker you know, <laughs> you know I think it would be fun to run a newspaper and then it literally turns to the camera and goes oh and it doesn't make it not a masterpiece mm-hmm. it just kind of they whatever magic happened when they made that film they invested those templates and this kind of goes mm-hmm. back to your thing of like you want a form a form or a format to begin with. you don't have to be so wildly original for its own sake mm-hmm. you know you can right. start with something and then infuse it if you infuse it with your own heart and voice and brains it will become original so i i th- there's a slight other side of the kind i'm not arguing for cliche or for clams but i think that they can help you kind of move the train down the tracks and then you go back and take a second pass and say okay mm-hmm. how do i make this Really fresh and speak to me in a in a new way.
2: Sometimes the way you know that something is going to work is because you've seen it work. Sure, <laughs> that's a surefire one. <laughs> the unrequited love, like like yeah. how do you make a character? How do you make an audience love a character? Unrequited love, it always works. It's not, it's not a cliche. It's a it's a tool in your toolkit. Yeah. You know? Well,
3: I've had. Arguments with showrunners about promises made to the audience, you know, mm. because I've worked for people who go like, "Oh, we'll start with something, and we'll end with something, and who cares?" And I was like, uh, you know, and and again, you, when when their eyes glaze over, I've I've learned to you know keep my mouth shut. But <laughs> I'm a big believer in the promise you make to the audience. So if you have you know unrequited love it better either be requited at the end or tragic and tragically mm-hmm. not requited. Or he goes through door number th- you know, he, right. the protagonist I just made up, goes through door number three and finds his true, true love, okay. which is not what he expected. Right. But, you know, um, I would not say... You know, avoid uh, clams to the point of of being unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. You know, right? Don't re- twist
2: for the sake of a twist. Mm-hmm. You don't subvert expectation because too much. Because then you won't get that. You need that surprising but inevitable. Don't forget the inevitable right. part of your your sure. conclusion. Yeah, sure. yeah.
0: We're used to understanding stories in a certain way, uh, and you can give us the unexpected, but it still has to feel inevitable.
2: And I wanted to go back to something you said earlier about trying to top yourself. I think that. A good technique for a lot of young writers, it, or a, a trick you can fall into is to, is to feel that you have, you've written a satisfying page and you read it and you know it's good and it works, and that's to set it aside and stop working on it. Keep working on it. I am always surprised with what I come up with. When I think a script is done, I hand it in and the showrunner hands it back and just says, deeper, make it deeper, make it more, <laughs> make it better. And with no more direction than that, I'm amazed at how much better it gets. I mean, it's the dumbest note in the world. You can give that note without reading the script. And so give yourself that note.
3: That's not a coincidence, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) That they don't want to read my first draft? Not that. Thanks for taking it, taking us down self loathing lane, where, where, where all the houses look so familiar. Um, but no, it's just easier to yeah, make it make it better, make it funnier. But you can you can yes. it, always make it more. Um, and again, I think a lot of that comes back to specificity and character. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and you can kind of pull out a surprise. I love you know, uh, jerking the steering, steering wheel of the car really hard as you're going down the highway. I love big <laughs> surprises. But if they're just, like, like Jane is saying, if you're just doing it just right. to do it, it's, it's just weird. Mm-hmm. Right. But if it really comes out of the character... You know, and then the audience kind of goes, "I didn't see that coming," but that's exactly what that character would do. Right. It was great, it just popping into my head, a great moment in um, uh, "Throw Mama from the Train" when Danny DeVito is like talking a mile a minute about the plot, and then in the middle, and they're racing down the highway, and he goes, "Cows, cows!" I remember that it's moment. just so great because it's like, "Oh, right, he's insane," <laughs> and it completely huh. pulled the rug out from under you and was entirely spelled out that character.
2: And so identifiable. We've all, at least as kids, had that moment of, like, the most important thing is there is cows in it. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah, that that was another thing I wanted to talk to you guys about. This, you know, very often a note that we or, you know, any writer will get is about making your characters likable. But likable, it may not necessarily be what's meant by that note. I think identifiable is a much more accurate word. Um, is this something again? Does this go into the process when you're writing? Is it second nature, uh, or is it something you actually have to approach and and you know consciously do?
2: I think any character that's funny is likable. So I've always taken that note to make them funny.
1: That's, that's all I've done. That's with pretty it. good. Yeah. I've always I've got that settled. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: I've always struggled with that note. Mm-hmm. I I've always I, I have a strong reaction to that note. Make them more likable is. I, I always hate that note um, yeah. because it's, it's, it, again, it's external, you know, it's, 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 um, it's an end result. It's like, uh, it's like saying, make them hip or make them edgy. It's like, well, you can make them do certain things that in the end you'll say, you know, they're, they're hip or edgy or, or likable or, or whatever. But it's just, it, it's bypassing what that really means, I think. And, and what is it to be likable? I mean, there's so many, I mean, there are so many, narcissistic, self-indulgent characters who are totally lovable because you've got this mm-hmm. flash of, oh, they're struggling with that, you know? Mm-hmm. But, right. but it wouldn't be fun if they weren't, Narcissistic and self-indulgent and selfish. Is Cruella
2: Deville like?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, is Uh, any any character on Community? You know, they're all sort of monstrous. They're all a little bit monstrous. They're all. (laughs) You
0: wouldn't want to be friends with them, really.
3: But I want to see them every week, absolutely, because ultimately they because they struggle with it, and there's always that little glimmer of of Mm self-sacrifice or or of putting someone ahead of Mm -hmm. yourself. It lives up to the title of the show. I want
2: to be friends with Abed. (laughs) <laughs> well sure
3: <laughs> i just want to watch uh, kick puncher three with him
0: <laughs> well we've gone from throw mama to the train mm-hmm. from the train
3: to kick puncher three to kick puncher three
0: mm-hmm. back to citizen kane yes um I, I i think that's about all i have for you guys i do want to ask very briefly we've touched on it and you guys are are dabbling in shorts and internet and stuff mm-hmm. is this um Is this pressing a different button for you than television work has done? Is it the same button in a different way? Uh, What's fun about these new media for you guys?
2: Mm, So you're referring to Husbands, which people can see Where can people see that? People can see that at husbandstheseries.com. They can go there and watch all 11 little episodes. Um, And they're
0: they're just terrific. They're so much fun. Uh, These charming characters who you want more from.
2: But, uh, yeah, it feels to a certain extent it does it feels like i'm a i'm a kid in the business again it's like there's new things to learn new ways to approach it um just like humor uh with a new flavor um brevity like just just uh and more with my hand more hands-on in production like mm-hmm. when you have when you are sitting there with the actor's Not just for every take, but for every rehearsal, for every initial discussion. When the actors they are writing it with you, how how much that allows you to to refine the process. Hmm. Um, So that if you've got if you can if the actors writing the joke with you and you can hear how it's going to sound in their voice. You can make the joke all that much sharper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. so there's something to be said for these tiny little productions where the whole the whole group that's involved fits in a little bitty room. And you can all be inside each other's brains right from the beginning. You can make a tighter a tighter product because you aren't playing telephone. You aren't just relying on actors getting a script in their mailbox and looking at it and then coming in and you're not yep. on set. Like it's all you get so much more hashed out and you get so much more refinement in what you're doing. Hmm. Um, And you get to even do like set, pick pick elements of set decoration and go, oh, wait, that zebra, put that here. That's what he's going to do. And then we can call it back later. You can find things, find humor from set decoration that you would never find in a big production.
3: Yeah, well, that's great. I mean, it sounds like you're talking about a more holistic approach to your work. And and for me, that's the exact same answer is Mm -hmm. that I find... Uh, shooting short films. I shot one. I'm going to be shooting more. And to me, I was talking to Alexa about it the other night and I was saying, you know, it's, she was saying, what's the what's the kick? What's the appeal? You know, because, and, and also I have what, uh, what they call in the special needs community, asynchronous development. It's because it's like, you're, I, I'm a certain level as a writer and then this other level as a director <laughs> and I find myself in the screenplay world spending a tremendous amount of time writing these screenplays that people go, these are great. Now we've got to find someone to direct them. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, no, no. I, I created it. I should be able to. So it's trying to bring those things together in, in the real world. And by the way, the people who are saying we need someone with more experience is like, they're not necessarily wrong. So I have to correct that myself. And, what I was saying to Alexa is that, like, I feel like as a writer, I've gotten to a certain level of of comfort and and mm-hmm. ease and and success and all of these, those, those things are wonderful. But I feel like the football coach who can, like, I can draw the X's and O's and the, the you know, dotted lines of where the arrows go and all that stuff. It's like, but then you're in an NFL game and, like, all of a sudden people are getting concussions and there's mud and mm-hmm. there's no traction and there's cleats and someone, like, knocked your mouthpiece out of your mm-hmm. mouth, like, and 50,000 people yelling at you. like, that's what I want you know, mm-hmm. is the kind of, and I guess Jane is talking about this like more mm-hmm. holistic approach of I love writing. And as someone who's been doing it for a while, it, it's, it's no longer satisfying in and of itself. Mm-hmm. I want to see the thing come to life. I want to help it come to life. And at the moment I want to even make the mistakes of, uh, uh, you know, you didn't get that line reading yeah. that you had in mind and maybe you got a better one or maybe you didn't you know then you got to cut around it. So mm-hmm. I like bringing them to life in all the ways that you can do that and kind of bringing it on home in that way. I think that's the appeal of the mm-hmm. new media is that uh the meritocracy of it and the the accessibility of it. A lot of people can do this now and um, yes, you that's... all
2: should be out doing it because because this interestingly what we're talking about is sort of the culmination of our careers is exactly the place that many of you aspiring young people out there are at naturally you're in film school or you're just in a little film community that you've made yourself in your backyard with your friends and you can do all the stuff we're talking about of, of being with a production from the first word till, till the final edit.
3: Mm-hmm. Right, you yeah. used to have to be able to write something and then hand it over to somebody and mm-hmm. then they could produce it and now the, the, the revolution really is here. Mm-hmm. You can make it yourself and you can kind of see it through in that way on, on every level, whether it's a gigantic special effects piece or whether it's just a little you know, two-person drawing room comedy. You can actually realize it yourself and that's a, that's a huge advantage and I'm glad that we're, we're taking advantage of it as right. it's happening.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's even affordable, like, like the professional equipment is now no longer so out of reach. You don't need a studio to make a comedy. Yeah. Right. You know, you need yeah. a camera.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, we also are glad you guys are taking advantage of it. Uh, so thanks. And uh, at Jane Espenson, They can find out more about husbands and the future thereof.
2: Follow me on Twitter at Jane Espinson.
0: Thank you guys. Thanks for being here, Doug
1: and Jane.
2: Now leaving nerdist.com.